Father, thank you uh, for your word, uh, for its truth, for how it touches us and affects us. Lord, help us to be men and women that are yielded to you, and that uh, you work in our hearts and minds and accomplish uh, what you want to use us. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us your strength. Uh, help us in our obedience to you, that we would be useful to you, that we would be instruments, representative sons and daughters in your kingdom, uh, sharing with a lost and dying world, inviting them to escape uh, the, the wrath and uh, the uh, judgment that is to come upon this world, Lord. That we, we would be the conduit of your message and spirit and a helpful deliverance to those that you would direct us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I uh, was thinking as we were singing and as we were worshiping uh, together, um, uh, there is this reference um, uh, that uh, literally talks about um, uh, the the pain of our sin and how um, it would cause us to grope uh, for God. Uh, it's it's written in many different ways. King James Version. Uh, this is Acts chapter seventeen twenty seven. That they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us uh, new king james so that they should seek the lord and hope that he might that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us um the amplified bible this was so that they would seek god if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us just thinking about uh the way the lord um allows our sin uh, and, and this world and the sin of the world to create a desperation in us. And that desperation compels us towards the Lord. You know, many of us, uh, you know, know exactly uh, what that experience is like. Uh, you know, that's that's how we came to the Lord was in the desperation. And uh, I've had a number of conversations recently uh, with people about um, things along that line and how the world is continuously uh, trying to get rid of that desperation uh, through medication, through uh, false religions, through uh, you know education, through uh, self-help, uh, you know, there's an alarm going off in your heart that's saying you need God. It's compelling you towards him to where you would search and grasp in the darkness of your sin. And, and I, you know, we look at these programs of the world and in, in a way you think, well, you know, how loving, how humane these people are trying to help. And in the end, it's really wicked if they can actually accomplish the task of shutting off the alarm and causing a person to find some degree of solace in this life and, you know, abate the 
problem. The, the, the problem is the compulsion to push you towards God. It's by his design. You know, those things really we could define um, uh, Old Testament, New Testament as their idolatry. And they're killing us. And so our heart longs for its fulfillment in worshiping God. And if we substitute and replace, how cruel. How cruel of us, right? The fire alarms are all going off in your neighbor's house and the flames are reaching out the window and you go over to their house and take all the batteries out of their fire alarm. You know what I'm saying? Lull them back to sleep. Sing them a little song. <laughs> you know, just want some warm milk, you know. Just get it out of your fridge. It's on fire. You know, I just, uh, it's really sick that the world does this, that it develops plans and uh, and then they congratulate one another, right? They stand around and go, that's so nice of you. That is so good. Uh, the judgment of God. So the, the, it just came to mind, you know, singing about the, 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 the great length that Jesus went through uh, to rescue us and reach to us and... Uh, you know, some of these people, we think of them as so nice, and really they're incredibly wicked. Whether they know they're wicked or not, what they're doing is incredibly wicked uh, to keep people from finding uh, the Lord. So uh, that's uh, your sermonette uh, prior, to, and I don't want to make Christianettes, so let's have a full uh, sermon here and get into Mark chapter 13. Uh all of that discourse, uh, right? They they are at, G at the temple with Jesus, remarking on how magnificent the temple is. Uh, Jesus tells them, "Not going to be one stone left upon another here." Uh, Matthew tells us that at the uh, at the Mount of Olives later, particularly Peter, James, and John ask the questions, three questions: uh, When is this going to take place? The destruction of the temple. Uh, what will be the, the sign of your coming and what will be the end of the age. So we get sort of a mixture uh, here in Mark uh, of those three questions being answered, but we don't ever really hear that question posed here. Uh, I make that point because uh, some of the things that Jesus answered uh, pertain to yet future events. And uh, there are those within Christianity that teach, nope, this has already happened. All of these events are behind us. And uh, we'll point out tonight uh, why at least some of that is wrong and some of that is false. So uh, he's in the midst of discussing, uh, you know, the, the great events, the earthquakes, the famine, the, uh, the uh, troubles that are going to come. He uh, described these as the beginning of uh, sorrows is what he said, and uh, elsewhere it's described as um, the beginning of birth pains. Um, and, uh, you know, most of us have maybe even witnessed birthing and uh, the intensity and the frequency increases. And that's something I would just sort of shoot in here as we begin. Um, you know, if you, uh, I always try to use something local. If, if we're, you know, all going to go to Portland, and, and we leave here, and we know we've got the route and the plan, and we know we're going to drive, you know, one into Bangor 1A, we're going to hit 395, we're going to jump over to 95, and we're going to go south. You're going to drive uh, almost to Newport before you see the first sign that says Portland, right? So, so you know, that thought of the signs, 
right? The signs of Jesus Christ, these things happening. You know, long period of time and, and you don't see one. Uh, well, then you see one. And you go, that is definitely a sign right there. Then, you know, quite a while later, oh, there's another one. When you get to the place where it's like every exit is saying something about Portland and this street and that, you're there. Okay? And this is what Jesus is saying about the signs and the way they're going to come. That's literally how he's describing it is, is the intensity and the frequency are, are going to be more and more detailed, more and more descript. So uh, they're the beginning of sorrows. And then in verse 9, he says, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. And of course, this almost immediately began to happen as the apostles uh, started their own ministry. It was uh, really just a couple months later uh, as these beatings and council uh, inquisitions began. Um, you know, Jesus uh, dead, buried, uh, resurrected, uh, ministered 40 days, ascended. They uh, remain receive the Holy Spirit, begin to preach, and then the persecution begins with them. Uh, you know, the real, uh, you know, home run for the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes is, you know, the stoning of Stephen as they begin. But then, you know, they're killing James and others uh, in, in the process. But uh, they begin almost immediately, Acts chapter 5, verse 40, when they had called for Peter and John, who had been preaching, and they had in chapter 4 forbidden them to preach anymore, and they went right back in, you know. So for all of these, you know, that are our brothers and sisters today that are saying we shouldn't disobey the government, right, and and meet together and preach and share uh, with one another, they were warned face-to-face -face legally, do not preach in this name anymore. And they immediately went back. And preached civil disobedience uh, whenever it comes down to being told you can't obey God well uh, too bad because we're, we're going to so uh, they call Peter and John and beat them and they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and then they let them go so the beatings immediately began uh, and that continued in lots of particulars went on uh, 13 verse 9 you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony to them and actually almost every one of the apostles especially uh, was brought before the authorities uh, in their region of ministry at one time or another and they suffered brutal uh, encounters uh, beatings and persecutions and, uh, you know, neglect. Uh, but, you know, some of them were skinned alive, uh, dragged to death behind chariots, you know, stabbed through repeatedly with halibuts. It was just, you know, the, the, all of them met uh, torturous deaths except for John. And that was, you know, the grace of God because uh, Roman emperor tried to boil him to death in oil. Uh, you know, and, and there actually is... A strange sort of, um, you know, uh, reference there where uh, he was mockingly baptizing John in uh, boiling oil. He survived it uh, without harm and uh, was frightened uh, 
the Roman leadership so badly that that's when they exiled him, uh, thinking that they would work him to death uh, in uh, the uh, mines at the island of Patmos. And of course, um, rather than that, what what was birthed out of uh, the the labors uh, in the mines of Patmos was the book of Revelation, as John received that message uh, from the Lord. Uh, so, uh, you know, specifically, uh, they you will be brought before rulers and, and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. Uh, Paul uh, was uh, brought before Felix first, and he then is brought uh, to Agrippa, Acts chapter 26, verse 2. I think myself happy, Paul speaking, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all these things of which I am accused by the Jews. He eventually even goes before Nero. And um, history tells us that uh, I believe it was, you know, both Agrippa Felix make that statement about um, Paul's argument is so convincing that they are nearly compelled to become believers themselves. And I've got to think that Paul was, one, so educated, and two, so filled with the Holy Spirit that when he stood before Nero, his argument was so convincing that it had a, a similar compulsion upon Nero's heart and mind uh, to uh, render himself to the Lord. History records that that is the time, whether it was the exact moment or not, but it was the time when Nero went insane. Uh, previous to that, his governing and his... Uh, Political function was uh, relatively businesslike and uh, really quite effective. He meets with the Apostle Paul. He rejects Paul's message, knows that he has to release him because he's an innocent man and he's a Roman citizen, uh, flakes out completely, begins to persecute Christians to a degree we had not seen, uh, history had not seen prior to that, recalls Paul after a short period of time, back sentences him to death and has him eventually beheaded in the process. So uh, probable that uh, he was so convicted by the Holy Spirit that uh, he he lost his faculties as he wrestled with the Holy Spirit who was trying to uh, convince him and uh, convict him. So uh, remarkable uh, statement, Jesus saying to them, you're going to stand before kings and rulers for my sake. Uh, verse 10, and the gospel must be preached to all the nations. Now, uh, a lot of ministries, and I don't begrudge them at all, a lot of ministries use this verse. You know, Wycliffe Bible translators saying, you know, support us so that we can translate the Bible into these languages and, uh, you know, take it to these different cultures. And presently there are still, I think, somewhere around 3,000 languages um, that haven't been translated yet. But again, and I don't mean to demean the smallness of the populations, but you're literally talking about a few hundred, a few thousand people that speak a specific language and organizations like Wycliffe. And uh, Faith Comes by Hearing, if you get the opportunity to uh, look at their website, they have an excellent little device uh, that uh, has the Word of God uh, digitized on it, and you can just listen to the Word of God continuously. 
uh, give it to your friends so they can listen to it, um, download it. Uh, they have CDs, all kinds of different formats. So faith comes to my hearing. Uh, they, they use this verse to say we've got to reach all the nations. Well, a couple of things uh, there. To begin with, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul speaking to the church in Colossae, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul is saying in his day, it's already been preached worldwide. Okay, so I, I understand there are those that still need to be reached, but the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us, right, the gospel has been taken everywhere and distributed and moved around. And if you're concerned for those last few people in those hidden pockets of humanity that haven't heard yet, uh, during the tribulation, there will be an angel in heaven uh, that's declaring the gospel for the whole world. And it does say the whole world to to hear. Uh, you know, people want to say, well, that's a, you know, a, a, a certain satellite and you should support their ministry because they're the ones that launched it and you know sky angel you know please send your money to you know great uh do that please support christian ministries uh wherever you can but uh there are people who don't have any satellite reception you know what i'm saying uh and there is an angel who will preach to the whole world so the lord is the one who's responsible for that more significantly doctrinally uh, there's nothing that holds Jesus back from returning. People that say, oh, we've got to translate the Bible into every language and every tongue. And then once those people get the gospel, then Jesus can return. Not according to Jesus. Uh, he can come back anytime. These things can be fulfilled at his will. Uh, so simply to say, it's going to be preached to all the nations. And that was occurring even in the time of the apostles. Uh, 1311, and when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. Think about this, brothers and sisters. We so often do that. There's a certain person that we, we've got to go talk to. We're going to confront or somebody's invited us to share the gospel and we like wrangle all around and look up all our Bible verses and you know get ourselves all sharpened up on how we're going to go deliver that. If you've had occasion to do that, you've probably experienced when you get there, the conversation goes in a direction that has nothing to do with everything you prepared yourself for. Uh, go prayerfully. Uh, have your heart and mind prepared. Be a student of the scripture. But wh whatever you're equipped with, the Lord will give you what you're supposed to say. So this is uh, the completion of this. So when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. You know, if we are truly trusting the Lord in the moment, uh, he will deliver to us and through us the things to be said. I've shared before, um, uh, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit is definitely something that uh, if you have questions about it, I'd love to talk to you more specifically one-on-one -on -one about that. I've taught on the subject and the passages uh, many times, but uh, there's an example. There are many examples. I used this one, uh, ex an experience I had years ago, uh, to show people and explain to people 
you know, how the Lord works in these situations. Um, some of you have met Wayne Stanchel. I don't know if you know Wayne Stanchel. Um, uh, young man came into Calvary Chapel years ago. Um, he and I became fast friends uh, shortly after he accepted Christ. Jim Lord led him to the Lord. Uh, Wayne contacted me, and I actually baptized Wayne, and I've been very involved in uh, 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 discipling. Wayne uh, over the years. Uh, he was still quite young. We were still uh, very close together. Uh, and um, I was working at Calvary Chapel and I came up the back stairs. Uh, I had just finished recording the morning service. I was doing video production and I had a couple cassettes with me and uh, different things in my notes. And I needed to go to my office and um, take care of a couple of things and get organized uh, for an edit that I was going to be doing. And as I came up over the stairs, uh, there was Wayne, and he was with a young man that he'd only brought to church a couple times. And when they saw me, they lit right up and they moved toward me like they're going to, you know, I can tell we're going to have an intense conversation. And it went through my head like, oh man, if I don't go do the tasks I've got to do right now, I am, I'm going to like forget completely, completely what I'm supposed to be doing. So I got to tell these guys, and I, and I stepped to them and the details are, are worth the explanation. So bear with me. As I step up to them, I just have to say, look guys, I, I, I can see you want to have a conversation, but I have to go to my office. Uh, so, uh, I explain that to them and they say, okay, come right back. And I leave and I go to my office and I pray something along these lines, like, Lord, like equip me for whatever, that conversation is going to be helped me to share with them. And I make my notes and I jot stuff down and I do my thing, get organized and I walk back out. And as I'm approaching them, I, I don't hear, I've never heard the voice of God. I hear in my heart and in my mind, the Lord say, I want you to just step up to them and say seven. And I'm weird. So you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I have this brief conversation in the last milliseconds. We're like, really? You want me to say just seven? And the Lord says, yeah, just like, trust me. Just walk up to these two young men and just say seven. And I, I step up and they're both like breathing in, you know, raising hand to pose whatever they're going to. And I just say seven. And they both rock back and like slam down in chairs. Like, what? And the Lord floods my mind with this young man that Wayne has brought to church is struggling emotionally, mentally over whether it's creation or evolution. Did God create in seven literal days or was it like seven million years or seven billion years or seven eons of time or, or what is all of this goes through my head in a millisecond, right? Because all I've said to them is seven. They're still freaking out. And I turn to the young man and I say, no, it's seven literal days. God created in seven literal days. It's not boundless periods of time. It's not thousands or millions of years. Uh, you can't even take, and I, I go through this with him. I, you can't even take a thousand years is but a day and a day is but a thousand years. Uh, and I open up and show him right here. In Genesis, it's, it says God created, and it was the first day. Morning and evening were the first day, and morning and evening were the second day, and morning and evening. He sets it within a 24-hour light cycle right in the beginning. So God created it in, in six literal days as you know it, 
and then rested on the seventh. They haven't hardly said two syllables out of their mouth, and they're they're blown away. More along the lines of, you know, what the scripture describes there in First Corinthians chapter thirteen and fourteen about the gift of knowledge when you know things from the Holy Spirit without knowing them from a worldly sense. But this same sentiment here of you find yourself in trouble and you're going to be thrust in front of the authorities and you need to say something, trust that the Holy Spirit is going to say something to me. It might be scripture you've studied. It might be something you're unaware of. If you're trusting the Holy Spirit, you're going to say what needs to be said. I've listened to people who do these great uh, thoughtful presentations and orations and walked out thinking, like, I really didn't get much out of that. Much better when it's actually from the Holy Spirit and we're trusting him in the moment. Uh, So uh, here's an example from the scripture. Acts chapter 23, verse 6. Paul is before the Israeli council. They're persecuting him. And they're going to rip him apart. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. And the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, then blew up and they start arguing with the Pharisees and it ends the whole confrontation and Paul is able to walk out without a scratch. The Holy Spirit just says, hey, press the hot button right here. And he does, and it diffuses the whole thing. Okay, the Lord telling him what to say. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Pastor Mike McClure from uh, Calvary Chapel in San Jose, California. So he's currently facing $3 million in fines from the county because he has defied their COVID restrictions, kept his church open through this whole process, allowed people to come to church without masks. Uh, he's won the court case uh, that they brought against Gavin Newsom, and Gavin Newsom, California, had to pay out millions of dollars in that case. But the county and their prideful stubbornness is still hanging on to their fines and saying, you have to pay us. They'll lose eventually. When they were in court over this issue, same thing, right? Mike is praying, right? And the Holy Spirit led him to say, the reason we're doing this is because the scripture says, we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from the glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, with unveiled faces. And everybody was silenced in the moment. Right from the scripture, something that you might look at and say is not a connected thought. But in the moment, it was what the Lord gave Mike in court, right? Three million dollars in fines. You know, that's quite a beating. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That'll shut a church down. You know, even if you are a mega church, that, that'll shut a church down. And Mike is there standing up, being led of the Holy Spirit. And literally the judge was dumbfounded, agreed with, well, hey, you know, there's the scripture. This is their worship. You can't defy 
their worship. Trust the Lord in what you're supposed to say to your neighbors, to the people who question you, to the authorities, that your purpose and reason for worshiping Jesus Christ. So, 13.12, now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And look, we've seen it historically, and it goes on today. Um, we talked about China earlier and the people there that can only worship underground and their families do betray them. Uh, oftentimes not willingly, oftentimes not purposefully, but when the government shows up with a bulldozer, literally, and puts the blade on the edge of your house and says, tell us where your relative is and tell us where they worship. And if you don't, they are going to literally turn your home and all of your property into a trash heap. And they do it. They don't hesitate. Uh, those people often give up their loved ones. You get the opportunity, I would encourage you uh, to look at the ministry, The Voice of the Martyr, and possibly consider uh, supporting them prayerfully, financially, however you might. I gave this message some years ago uh, to a man, uh, to the congregation, but there was a man here who uh, the Lord had him right in a transitionary spot in his life, and he transitioned straight into leaving everything and going to work for Voice of the Martyr. And uh, he ended up publishing a book that he sent me. You know, the Lord uses us if, if we'll relinquish to him. There are those who are sacrificing their lives and uh, being forced. Uh, you know, imagine if you don't know the Lord and you just have some crazy relative who's a Christian in a country where it's forbidden to do that, and you're protecting your own family and your own children and your own livelihood. Uh, those things are, are coming right now. You know, Canada, they're not allowing people that are unvaccinated. They can't go to the grocery stores anymore. They're, they're, they're making families turn on one another. They're using pressures. Uh, it is about entirely about control what we're experiencing and it's a precursor i understand you know people are like you know freaking out and telling me that it's the mark of the beast and it's not it absolutely is not okay uh, it's certainly a precursor it's definitely maybe even one of the last conditioning elements they're using to make people submit you know who knows how far away it is but these times are are fast coming upon us one after another the signs are arriving right seeing these things transpire. So you're going to put one another to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Hated for my name's sake. You know, I have encouraged people for a long time, um, uh, you know, to use the name of Jesus appropriately. Uh, you know, uh, people will accept uh, even, you know, God bless that throws them off, right? You know, often they would prefer you just said, have a good day. Yeah, but if you actually say, God bless, you know, if you say praise the Lord or praise Jesus, wow, man, I mean, you might as well have just set off a grenade. Uh, 
uh, you know, watch people's heads spin around. Uh, they, they hate the name of Jesus. Uh, you know, mention Buddha, talk about Muhammad all day long. Nobody ruffles a feather, right? You say Jesus' name in a loving, respectful way, worshipful way, and the world is just going to snap to attention in a way that demonstrates their offense. They'll immediately insist they're not, you know, and that's good for you. But the whole reason that it, if you cuss and tear at his name, you'll meet almost no resistance. You speak of him worshipfully, reverently. You'll you'll experience that. Now that last statement, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Listen, the way it's written in the Greek language, you shouldn't look at that and think, oh man, I'm going to have to do my spiritual push-ups. You know, I've got to be able to endure to the end. And that's how I'll get my salvation. Uh, that's not what's being said at all. It's the idea of if you have the Holy Spirit, you will endure to the end. And that's that's how it's written out. It isn't, gosh, I hope you got the strength. <laughs> okay. The strength lies in Jesus. That That's where the strength lies. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, uh, for the sake of Christ, then I contend, uh, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we're simply throwing ourselves upon the Lord and crying out, get me through this, <laughs> carry me across the finish line, then his strength accomplishes that work. It isn't our capabilities. It's not our endurance. 13 verse 14. Uh, so a great tribulation described here. So when you see the abomination of desolation, you know, in quotes, the definite article, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not let the reader understand. Um, there's a couple of things about this uh, that need to be examined. Uh, the first of which is Matthew chapter 24, uh, Olivet Discourse, much more detailed. Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus, again speaking, specifically says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, you know, here standing where it ought not, you know, you're left to assume and understand by um, John, Mark, and Peter, who co-authored this book. In Matthew, uh, Matthew records it verbatim, and Jesus revealed that uh, the place that it ought not to stand is in the holy place. Look, uh, only two people, two people, only two beings are allowed in the holy place. Uh, God the Father <laughs> and the high priest at that, this point in history. So for anyone to go in there that isn't one of those two is an abomination. And uh, we hear Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, And he, the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's a block of seven years, okay, that's being referred to. And for half of the week, three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out 
on the desolator. Um, you know, the Antichrist is going to enter the temple and demand to be worshipped as God is, is what's being referred to. So some teach that all of these things, including uh, this occasion, Antioch Epiphanes and the, the desolation of the temple and um, you know the sacking of Jerusalem by Rome, that all of these things were accomplished in 70 by 70 AD, some previous to and then you know the, the fulfillment of all these things 70 AD. If you've ever heard the term preterist, or been around those who, who declare themselves or others declare them to be preterist. Um, the term, uh, there's a bunch to the translation, but it basically means in the past or already fulfilled is how you might think of that. I, I know that's dumbing it way down, but, but they teach all of this has already happened. Uh, all of the things written here, all of the things... In, in the Old Testament prophecy, all of the things written in the book of Revelation already transpired. Well, right uh, where we are in this study alone, trying to analyze that. Is that true? Has that happened? How could I decipher from this passage whether these things have taken place or have not taken place? Uh, Jesus also said the abomination of desolation would be in the days of the great tribulation. He says that. And, and here in Mark chapter 13 at verse 19, you can glance down and see that, and that those days would conclude in the conquering return of Jesus and his setting up his throne and his kingdom on earth, Mark chapter 13 again, verses 26 and 27. So clearly that has not taken place. So, so these haven't been finished. These things have not been concluded uh, you know did these things happen yes uh, certainly uh, the the temple was destroyed certainly they then cleared and excavated off the temple site to retrieve the gold as Jesus had said but I say to you again there were three questions asked uh, when is this going to happen the destruction of the temple uh, what will be the sign of your coming right his a return and then what will be the end of the age well we know right there's two more comings to be experienced with jesus his coming for the church for the rapture of the church some of that's being described in here the end of the age is a separate what we would actually say is the second coming of jesus when he comes at the end of the tribulation so he comes for the church and the rapture thessalonians takes the church off the earth, unleashes seven years of tribulation upon the earth. At the end of the seven years of tribulation, he returns, conquers uh, Lucifer, imprisons him for a thousand years, and sets up his kingdom to rule and reign on earth. Uh, so, so we shouldn't mistake these things as being past tense. Okay, uh, some, some of it, much of it, still lies uh, ahead of us. So, uh, verse 14, continuing... Uh, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, I should back up, right? Because in 14, where it says, let the reader understand, and then here, when it says those who are in Judea, is specifically saying, if you're seeing this, then you're the one who can interpret this. All right? Uh, 
uh, Revelation chapter 13, Mark of the Beast, uh, let him uh, who has understanding know the Mark of the Beast shall be, you know, 666. It's literally referring, referring to those that are present. Okay, it's the idea of you'll know it when you see it kind of attitude. Like we can sit around all day and speculate and have a certain degree of understanding. But then when you get right up on it, you have a completely different understanding. You'll know these things with a certainty. And that's what he's saying. So here's the deal, you guys. I'm hoping to never completely understand these things in that way. Right? I'm waiting for Christ's return to take us off this earth. And we'll watch from, as Joe Foch says, from the mezzanine. You know, we get to view it from the external and witness these things happening. Uh, so the people there are warned. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So interestingly enough, those that were present when Rome came in and began to amass their armies, uh, AD 66, when the real wave of Roman presence came. I mean, you know, Rome's always been present. Uh, but, you know, if you turn around and there are tanks in the street, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, there's always been a threat, you know, but when you turn around and there's a whole squad of military standing at your doorstep, like, you know, things have changed. And that's how it went down for these guys was, yeah, 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 Rome's been here and we hate them and they, they dominate us. We wish they'd go away. And then you turn around and wow, <laughs> there, there's a whole legion encamped right down there in the valley preparing for what well the christians remembered this right only the christians they tried to warn their neighbors they tried to warn their jewish uh, family members and get them out no one went with them 100 percent of the christians word spread in hours and they all left out of jerusalem 100 percent of them left out of Jerusalem. No Christians experienced the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70. They, they remembered what the Lord had said. So here, when we're reading this, and we understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. They just did it. They were like, okay, time to go. You know, we thought it might have been Nero. We thought it might have been this situation. We thought it might have been that situation. But look, it's now outside the door. It's time for us to leave. Verse 14, let the, uh, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop. Now, this isn't like a message specifically to roofers. Okay, This, this is common even to this day in Israel. There's so little rainfall that they plaster their flat roofs and they tile them and they put drainage in the roof, and the rooftops are like what we would use as a porch. It's like their patio. They go up, they barbecue on their rooftop, they sing songs, they, you know, have meals. It's it's like going out on the porch. And so if you're on the rooftop, is what he's saying. So, you know, some of this has very little application to the rest of the world. Okay. You know, if it's dead of winter in Maine, and you're shoveling snow on your roof, this might have application, right? But but specifically, it's to the people of Judea. Uh, let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take 
anything out of his house, but let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Listen, this very much goes against the mindset of being a prepper, right? The Lord is saying, if it all falls apart, if it all comes down, you can trust me. I'm going to take care of you. Flee to the wilderness. I don't have any wilderness skills. None of these people did. Flee to the wilderness. The Lord, you're going to really learn what it means to rely upon the Lord. Okay, think about this, you guys. All right? Nation of Israel, captive in Egypt. Moses shows up and says, it's time to go. They are not warriors. And they are not survivalists. They are slaves. <laughs> right? They, they are, you know, they are a bunch of lemmings who punch the time clock every day. That's what they are. And the Lord takes care of them. The Lord leads them out. He parts the sea. He leads them through. So much so, right? You know, the guys with muck boots, when they hit the Red Sea, we're like, ah, see, the rest of you should have been thinking ahead. And we got to walk through this sea. But what do we read? They walked through the sea, and the Lord made it dry ground. If we're truly trusting the Lord, He's going to take care of us. You are being commanded by Jesus Christ to not worry about these things. You know, you know what a bigger concern is right now? A bigger concern? Okay, let's let's go all the way down that road. You're not prepared, and it hits, and you die. Big deal. Okay? What's the bigger concern? Your neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. The one who needs to get saved. There's something to invest your time in. There's something to invest your money in. There's something to invest your resources in, right? Just sitting and having a cup of coffee. I don't mean showing up, right, with your PowerPoint presentation and your overwhelming Christian weirdness and just freaking out your neighbor about Mark of the Beast and you need to, and this, and they're going to be, and it's going to crazy and fire and hailstones. Love your neighbor. Let them see that when they when they turn on the news and they're freaking out, let them see the peace that fills your life, floods out of your life. You know, my cousin, he's building a place out in the woods, and they're gonna and they guns and they've you know and traffic and they're able to, and you're like, yep, and the Lord's taking care of me, and the Lord will take care of me. And the Lord can take care of you and take care of them. There's a peace that comes from Jesus Christ. You understand that Jesus Christ was looking right at this, right? He burst into tears, overwhelmed, as he looked at Jerusalem and said, I would have gathered you under my wings. He knows that at the end, they're going to be daily throwing bodies, dead bodies, out over the wall of Jerusalem. Just, just to get rid of 
the waste, the human bodies, the refuse, the decomposition, just to get... Imagine having to take your loved one and toss them over the city wall. Because you can't keep them anymore. you got no place to bury them. Jesus was torn by this, heartbroken by this, weeping over Jerusalem in this. And he tells the believers, you don't have to prepare. Remember what I say, and when the time comes, just flee. Just flee. The Lord will sustain us. The Lord will take care of us. We need to have this mindset, you guys, that the Lord is our sustenance. The Lord is our sustenance and our care in this. Out of, you know, don't take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time nor ever shall be so so listen now he shift gears over to the great tribulation so he gave us a quick reflection of 70 AD and what transpired in Jerusalem but then he moves over into the great tribulation right because the world has seen atrocities before Jerusalem's sacking in 70 AD and since Jerusalem's sacking in 70 AD. I read an account uh, written by a man who trained special forces all over the world, different countries. He was trained by the British uh, SAS and actually became an international arms dealer and then was allowed internationally to train uh, by the British government, licensed and allowed to train other special forces. He trained the Iraqi special forces when Great Britain was allowing that when they were at war with Iran. Okay, uh, He gives an account where <clears throat> there was a massive incursion and the Iraqis had overrun the Iranians and pushed them back and they flew in to this place with a small squad of uh, Iraqi special forces to capture government buildings that were there because they wanted documents and stuff that were inside the building. And they flew over the battlefield where uh, the uh, conflict had happened <clears throat> over three days previous to it. And there were more than 10,000 dead uh, lying there in the battlefield. And the most horrifying element of it was that more than one-third of the dead were children under the age of 10 years old. The Iranians had gone through their country and collected these children from every town and village and hamlet that they could and telling their families these children are going to honor the Ayatollah and, and Muhammad by serving these troops and they're going to carry water for us and they're going to cook meals and do our dishes. And what they did was they gave them fake guns, just wooden cutouts and plaques, uh, big uh, poster board, cardboard poster board of the Ayatollah's face. And they ran with these children with these fake guns 
and these posters of the Ayatollah at the Iraqis so the Iraqis can't tell who's a real soldier. Was and the, and the Iraqis in the end ended up just mowing everybody down in the situation. One battle, 10,000, most of them, Iranians and children under the age of 10, just slaughtered. There have been horrible atrocities throughout time, unspeakable things that have happened over and over again. That pales in comparison to the Great Tribulation. right? I, I, I've given the data to you before. Uh, those that say, oh, the first you know the first three and a half years, that'll be really you know that won't be as bad, right? Uh, I've talked to you about the fact that no, uh, one quarter of the world's population dies in the first three and a half years. Uh, all of South America, all of Central America, all of uh, North America, and all of Western Europe dead in the first three and a half years. Go to Patagonia and drive all the way here to Maine, and you not only would there not be, it would be just filled with dead bodies all the way. You would see nothing but dead and dying corpses. The world's population can be Jesus saying here, it's going to be like anything you've ever seen. No, you know, no flesh would survive, as he says. Uh, we'll end uh, right here. We've run. I've run us out of time. Pray that your flight be on the winter, for in those days there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. Um, but for the elect's sake. Whom he chose, he shortened those days. Uh, you know, the Lord is going to pour out his wrath on an unbelieving world. These things are still ahead of us. It's very important to understand that, um, you know, Jesus is answering those three questions. And uh, what we see happening in the world right now in our midst is, you know, the, the, the contractions are close together, the signs are close together. And uh, I cannot encourage you enough to invest all you can in reaching people. Talk, you know, you're, you're scared, you're angry. Uh, sphere of influence, the people around you, you know, relatives, friends, coworkers, classmates that are around you. Take the opportunity to talk to them about the word of God. That fear, that anger they're expressing, you know, you're, you know, You've gotten the vaccine, or you you don't have the vaccine. You know, talk to them. Let that let that open the door uh, to Jesus, right? And 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 you know, hear what I'm saying as quickly as you can. Bring them to their need for Jesus, right? Because we can get bogged down in talking about all these exciting details. The most exciting detail they need to hear about is the possibility of salvation. Christ's redemption of their soul, their deliverance uh, from the judgment that is to come. So, well, I expected to finish this chapter. Um, you see where I got. So anyway, we'll pick up uh, with verse 21 uh, next week. Will you stand with me and we'll pray? Uh, Father, we are so grateful. I thank you for the patience of my brothers and sisters, and I pray that you would help us to concentrate, Lord, on our relationship with you, that the things we're reading here and the things we're seeing in the world around us would not frighten us, 
would not compel us towards um, radical behaviors. Instead, that we would settle into uh, the rest of who you are. I I think of what uh, Pastor Peter Will said to me years ago about how if, if we would find Jesus, then we would find the rest. I just think about uh, you know the completion and the peacefulness that that implies. Help us, Lord, to be men and women that are are deep in you, abiding in your faithfulness, seeing your will accomplished in us and through us, by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.